I like that. I didn't even say Old Testament. And I got an oh yeah from Russ this morning. I know, uh, you know, I, I like to share what I think about during worship, so I'm going to share what I was thinking about during worship. I was thinking, you know, it would, it would just imagine that, all right, let's go Doctor Who for a little while. We're going to go Doctor Who for a little while, which my family is going to appreciate. And the rest of you probably think, Doctor Who? Exactly. Um, Doctor Who has this, this uh, time machine called a TARDIS. And uh, by the way, my wife's got a picture of it. If you want to see it on the side of her car, her, she says my other vehicle is a TARDIS. And also, by the way, just side note, I was in Karen Crow during Mardi Gras. It was in the morning, so this woman was not drunk. And she saw my TARDIS, the TARDIS, and, she, and I went into McDonald's and I came back out. She said, can I ask you something? I said, yeah. She said, what, what's that TARDIS right there? I said, what, it's, it's a time machine from Doctor Who. She said, oh, okay. Well, I, I thought that was a porta potty <laughs> And it does kind of look like a porta potty it's, it's an old police box. But anyway, so, boy, I got way off. Let me come back to TARDIS. This is the things I think about during worship, <laughs> to clarify. Now, I was thinking, uh, you know, what if, what if that was really possible? What if somebody could create a time machine? Let's just say there was a time machine created and, uh, and given to a group of people, and we didn't know how to operate it. And so we did the best that we could, and maybe it's, uh, you know, the TARDIS actually is, you, you walk in the door, and then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, it's huge on the inside. It's little on the outside. It's just like a police box, but you open it up, and it's like a phone booth. Open it up, and then it's all of a sudden it's huge on the inside. So imagine we discovered that, and we were all like, this is the coolest thing ever because it's small on the outside, but on the inside it's huge. I mean, it's like you're not going to believe this. Watch. And we open the door, and everybody goes in, and, you know, and we got tours. Everybody's coming to see the police box. And nobody knows that it's a time machine. All right? Again, my worship goes weird places. This is what I was thinking. Christ coming to earth, okay? We're, we're celebrating Advent, the, the coming of Christ to the earth, God coming to the world. And for years prior to Jesus' coming, there was, a, there was, God had appeared. God had spoken to his people. God gave them uh, a way to have a relationship with him. And the law in the Old Testament was the way that Israel related to God. But they got it all messed up. They didn't realize that it was a way to relate to God. They thought, oh, this is just rules that we're supposed to follow. And ultimately, it got to the point where they started defining those rules even more and more specifically and saying what they meant. And it got away, totally away from what God intended. And the beautiful thing that God intended for us was that we would have a relationship with him that was real and personal and intimate, that God would be able to speak to us and we'd be able to to understand, not speak audibly, but we'd be able to understand his direction for our life and walk in that. And, and we're, we're sitting around playing around with words and meanings and theological ideas and philosophies, and, and we think that we're what, what this is all about, that our lives, our little life here on the earth, our little short time on the earth, that this is what it's all about. So when we get sick, we get all weirded out about it, like this is not supposed to happen. 
you know, because we're, we're not thinking about what God created us for, and that's a relationship with him. We think it's all about us being well. Or when, we, when we're running short on funds, we think, oh, no, everything's going, falling apart because we're focused on the wrong stuff. So Christ came into the world. Why do you do that? He came into the world so that we could understand what, it, what God's like, first of all, that we could see God loves us, first of all, that he didn't just give us a list of rules to follow, that he loves us, that he wants a relationship with us. He wants to be very personal with us. And the only way to do that is we've got to be perfect, which we can't be, so he sends Christ into the world to make us perfect to remove our sins from past, and to give us his righteousness to cover us through the future. And now we can really understand. You know, one of the songs we were singing, I forget the lyric, but one of the songs we were singing was just about how understanding what God did for us and him coming into the earth allows us to rejoice in the fact that we have been made right with God. We can, we can live what we have been created to live, and that's a relationship with Christ, with God. We can have a relationship with him. We can walk with him. Uh, we can do what he intended for us to do. We can enjoy the time machine, right? Because now we know. But what's so sad is people are still lining up to see the inside of the time machine, not realizing that they can get in there and go wherever they want in time. And for us, the same thing's true. People are lined up outside of churches every Sunday, and they fill pews every week. And they hear sermons, and we're still talking about following rules and regulations. We still do that. Y'all with me? And we're still doing that. As churches in this community, we're, all of us, me, I, I preached that. I, I told people what it was like on the inside of the box. For years, that's what I did in ministry until God opened my eyes to see the truth of what he came to earth to do. So we can celebrate today because we know, right? We know why he came to earth now. He came to restore our relationship with God, and we can walk in that relationship. And it's very real, and it changes our lives. How I was saying last night uh, how, you know, Levi inviting him to come to church uh, to hear about grace has radically changed his life. And all of us who have been connected to Hal have seen that. Just because Hal had an understanding that there's more than just the inside of the TARDIS, right? There, we can go places with God. God wants to be real to you and personal to you. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is why we're celebrating right now. We're celebrating the fact that that God chose to come to earth to straighten things out, to help us to understand what he was like and what what his plan was for us, and then to accomplish that plan for us in Jesus. So, man, we celebrate that today. Now, we've been talking, we've been going through 2 Timothy, and today's going to be our probably last message in 2 Timothy. And it's going to be a good one, Russ, maybe. Um, But I want to remind us that here's what's going on in Ephesus, the same thing that we're talking about. People in Ephesus were trying to add to the gospel rules and regulation. They were trying to make people to think like we've been made to think, that we've got to act a certain way in order to be approved of by God, that we have to do good and do right, and when we mess up, God, we lose God's favor. And all of that was still being preached, and they were trying to add that to the gospel. And so the big message of, of 2 Timothy is Paul is telling Timothy, don't, you tell the people not to listen to that. Now, last week, we clearly, he said, 
Tell them to avoid those kinds of people. Avoid them. Stay away from them because their, their thoughts and ideas are like yeast because which ones of us are not weak like the women he talked about last week who when, we, when Satan reminds us of our sin and how guilty we are that we don't want to try to find the easiest way out to make ourselves feel better by doing something good. We're, we're prone to that. It's like yeast in bread. It, gets, it makes its way all the way through our life if we don't watch ourselves. So he says avoid those people. But then he also says this week, we have a ministry to those people as well. You know, we avoid them in the sense of don't listen to what they say, but we also have the opportunity to influence them. We're going to talk about that today. He picks that up in chapter 4. This is what he says in chapter 4. Beginning with verse 1, we'll read 1 through 5, and that'll be our focal passage today. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and and, uh, teaching or careful instruction. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine or sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions, their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. All right, here's our message for today. It's right there in that passage. This is one of my... This passage has convicted me more than anything. This has been kind of the focal passage for my whole ministry. Uh, This is one I memorized a long time ago. It's in my heart. It defines for me and reminds me uh, of what Paul's trying to remind Timothy of at the close of his ministry. This is what you're about. This is is how you face the problems that you're going to face. This is what you need to use as motivation to keep you going all the time is this word. He starts off by saying, first of all, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus. Now, in pagan Greek, this word was used to call gods and men to witness. When they would talk about, uh, you know, in, in, in the presence of the gods, they would say, you know, what we're about to say, I'm calling all the gods and the people to witness what I'm about to say. So he's using their terminology when he says it, using their custom in connection with the concepts of, of Greek tr- tradition. And Paul's calling Timothy to the same thing. He's saying Timothy recognized the reality of the only watching eye that matters. It's the, the Trinity. It's God and Jesus Christ, his son, and the Holy Spirit. It's the Godhead that's watching us. It's the only eyes that matter. And when Paul is closing his ministry, and he's about to leave the church in the hands of of Timothy. Uh, He's saying, I want you to remember that God is watching, that God is here, that God is present. He's going to go on to describe what all that means, but let's, let's talk about that for just a minute. This thought or this idea of even though I'm not here, God is here. In the old way of doing church for most of us, and in the present way that a lot of people are still doing it, it's crazy how people will line up to go and hear somebody uh, define for them how they're going to live. Y'all with me? Everybody still attached? 
People will line up to go and hear some guy who can speak creatively and persuasively and make them and step on their toes and tell them, get outside and live this way. Do this differently. Do this differently. Act right. Act right. Act right. People will line up for that. Paul's telling Timothy, you know, you guys are used to living in the, in the eyes of people. But I want you to live in the eyes of Christ. Paul had this problem. Paul goes, has his first missionary journey. He goes to all these places and he establishes churches. We can relate to that. We've been here two years. Can you imagine? Uh, get, get in my shoes, okay, in the shoes of the elders. We came here, and those of you that helped us plant, we planted this church two years ago. And I can imagine what it feels like for Paul. Paul goes on his missionary journeys. He plants a church. He stays different lengths of time in different places, Galatia, uh, Philippi, uh, Colossae, uh, Corinth. He goes to all these places and plants these churches, gets them started, and they're, they're listening to sound doctrine, and they understand how they're supposed to live, and they're walking in the grace of Jesus alone. And then Paul goes on to the next church, and then he hears rumors that the church is getting messed up. People in the church are walking in the wrong. They, they quit walking in the gospel alone, and they're listening to people who are telling them to act, to to. to to base their religion on works, base their relationship with God on works, and, it's, and they're starting to get messed up. That's where the Bible comes from. A lot of the New Testament is Paul's letters back to these churches that he established. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he begins this letter to the church at Corinth, a sick church who, who's not following the teaching that Paul gave them. Look at what he says in verses 10 through 15. Paul says to that church, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and there be no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you, each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. (laughs) It's pretty plain, right? Paul leaves them with a simple gospel, and now they're talking about, oh, you got to be baptized by Paul or by Apollos. Well, you know, no, it's Cephas. Now they're arguing about something that doesn't matter. Isn't it crazy how we want to get right back into that mess again? We get freed up, and we try to get right back in that mess. But Paul leaves. And they, who have they been living for? How, who's been keeping them right? It's been Paul. And so Paul wants to say to them, before Christ, God, and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead? You, you do what you do before Christ. I'm going to be gone, but you do what you do before Christ. Now, i got to tell you, for me, my, I, have, I have not... All of my ministry led well. I know you find that surprising. But for a long time, I wanted people following me. I loved it whenever I left the church and things fell apart because it made me look good, right? They needed me, see. Church, listen, there's nothing I want more than to be able to walk out of here tomorrow and you guys not miss a step. That's my heart now. God has changed my heart, and I hope he's changed yours. I hope you're not following a pastor. I hope you're not following a leader. I hope you're following Christ. Everything we say at this church is abide in him. Don't abide in people. 
right? And Paul's already made that clear last week in the passage. You're not following men. And if you find yourself following men, you're going to be vulnerable to the wrong kinds of teaching, to false teaching. The church of Galatia had the same issue in the very first chapter. Again, in that prologue to this, to this letter to the church of Galatia that he started, he says, I am astonished, verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who are troubling you and want, you to, want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, Paul says, if I come back, even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached to you. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, and so now I'll say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And Paul had experienced numerous times the effect of his absence as compared to his presence with the church. Paul had left churches in the hands of capable leaders and periodically they would not walk according to what they had been taught. And when Paul was gone, they, would, they, would, they weren't walking as though God were supervising them, as if God were guiding them, as if God were leading them, as if God were bigger than Paul and that Paul was only God's, God's vessel that God was speaking through to lead people. They didn't see it that way. I want you to see that clearly here. It's, it's the Holy Spirit that leads us. We are doing what God says, and you can do that without me standing before you, without me preaching to you. It was so significant for Timothy to work with his knowledge that God was working in him and through him, and that he didn't have to have Paul watching his every move and correcting him and being his mentor. Paul says this in the letter to the church at Philippi, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Y'all with me? No, that's a good word right there. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and to work his good pleasure. God is the one that's working in us to will and to work his good pleasure. You should not depend on Sunday morning to know what to do with your life. You should not depend on Sunday morning to know what job to choose or how to handle an issue with your spouse or, or how to do, what to do, what major to have in college. You shouldn't have to come to, to the pastor to find those things out. You have the opportunity now by the, by the advent of Christ into the world and, that, and his death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit living in you, you have the ability better than the disciples did to hear the voice of God, to follow the leading of God in your life and experience joy and contentment regardless of, of your circumstances. You have that in you. Work it out. So this charge was given in full view of Timmy's, Timothy's uh, eternal mentor. What did I say? Timmy. We were close. <laughs> wow. Sorry, Tim. All right. So in charge, it was given in full view of Timothy's eternal mentor. And Paul says, in view of God and Christ Jesus, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, I give you this charge. 
So we need to realize, church, who it is that we serve. We need to realize his role in our work at the gathering place. Y'all with me? We've got to realize that he's the initiator of our work. He's the one that initiates the vision for this body. He's also the one that initiates the steps on how to complete the vision. We have no vision and no plan that God didn't give us. He gives us every vision. He gives us every plan. We walk in that, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus. Our charge has been received. We receive that, and we understand that he is the initiator of our work. He's the one who empowers the work. We have no power to accomplish anything. We're not looking around and asking you guys, how much money do you have to find out what we're going to do as a church? We're not looking around to say, how many of you guys are interested in doing this to see if we have enough resources, uh, people-wise, to accomplish the ministry that God's called us to accomplish? We're asking God. He is the initiator of the work, and he's also the one who empowers the work. God is going to do this work. It's going to be God or it's going to be nothing. We're not going to go and get some other resources to try and accomplish God's vision. He's the one that inspects the work. I'm not the one inspecting your work. I, I, I am, actually, but I shouldn't be. I, that's one of my weaknesses. I'm constantly trying to figure out, are you doing a good enough job or not? Forgive me for that. It's not my role. I want to empower you to live for God alone, to live by his power, but also to realize he's the one that's watching you. You know, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, you have your charge. He's watching you. He's inspecting your work. He's the one who corrects your work, as we talked about last week, and we'll close out with today. He's the one that's correcting you. He'll show you where you're wrong, and he'll show you how to fix it. He's both the physician and the prescription. And he's also the one who brings the fruit of our work. Once we do the work, we don't have to worry about the fruit. Well, we're not baptizing enough people. Yes, you are. God brings fruit. Well, I'm, I'm not changing fast enough. Yes, you are. God will bring the fruit. We're totally dependent upon him. Listen, that's what, what it means for us to do what we do in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. He says, in view of his appearing in his kingdom in the next verse. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom. This is the urgency of the call that God's giving uh, through Paul to Timothy. Paul feels the urgency because his life's about to end. Remember, this is the last letter that Paul writes, as far as we know, one of the last letters for sure that Paul writes. And he's giving his ministry away, and he wants to make sure that Paul, that Timothy recognizes. Here is the urgency of the call. God is coming back. He, he's coming back to receive his own, and it's not going to be long. And in view of that appearing and his kingdom that's already being set up, it's already come on the earth, and it will be set up. And in view of his eternal kingdom, I give you this charge. In other words, he's saying, Timothy, get your eyes open, buddy. God's coming back, and, and there's only a short time that we can get this gospel thing straightened out in Ephesus. It's a, it's a short time before, uh, before God's coming back, and, and there are people that he wants to bring to himself, and that's your role. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, and Paul is his representative. In the presence of Jesus, who came to seek and to save that, was, that which was lost, Timothy, don't lose your focus 
There's an urgency about your, your call. This, this call that I have for you, this charge that I'm giving you, you, it's urgent. There are people around you who need to come into the kingdom before Christ comes again. In Mark chapter 2, verses 15 to 17, Jesus is walking out the urgency of this charge that Paul is giving Timothy. He reclines at the table of the house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Tax collectors and sinners, the worst kind. And the scribes and Pharisees, when they saw it, the other worst kind, uh, saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors. They said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Listen to what he says. He's about to define why he came to earth. All right. Merry Christmas. Advent. Here it is. Why did Jesus come into the world? He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Recognize the urgency, Timothy, of this call. This call that Jesus had that caused him to to leave the the, uh, religious folk behind and go and spend time with tax collectors and sinners, eating with them, spending time with them, loving them, expressing love to them, blessing them praying for them, listening to them, eating with them, serving them, and then sharing the gospel with them. There was a reason why he did all that. That's what he came for. Jesus also defines that in one of our favorite verses, John 3.16, that all of us know in 17, he talks about again, what did he come into the world for? Jesus said, or uh, John told us, Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting or eternal life. And this is what he says, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Well, then why did God send Jesus into the world? Wouldn't you want to know that? But in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn us. He didn't come to the world, perfect as he was, to stand in front of us and say, see how I am? Why can't you be more like me? Jesus came in the world to save us, to make us more like him. That's a beautiful message. But, but here, here's, the, here's the point that, that Paul is trying to make to Timothy that we need to make clearly before, uh, as a congregation today, before God in Christ Jesus, who's watching, who's empowering, who's uh, inspecting, correcting and bringing fruit through our work. Who will judge the living and the dead. In view of his appearing in his kingdom. The urgency is his kingdom has come. The urgency is there are people now that are in misery. That need to be walking in his kingdom. Uh, both people that are religious and people that are, that are pagan. Uh, and heathens. They need to be walking in his kingdom now. And it won't be long before this world is over. Before we talk about the specifics of this charge about God, we need to recognize that there's an urgency about what he's fixing to say. In addition, before I go on to the next verse, I want to look at the coming problem before he gives the charge, and then we'll be be done. In verses 3 and 4 of chapter 4, Paul says a time is coming. 
when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Now, here's the, here's the problem that Paul said would exist. He said, this is what's going to happen. Paul said, a time is coming when people are going to gather around those teachers who are adding to the gospel all their ideas and thoughts. Are, are, are ultimately, they're even going to get totally away from the gospel. And they're just going to turn aside and tell each other, this is what we really think truth is. You know, those guys over there, uh, they're kind of weird, okay? That the Bible is not truth. It's written by man, okay? So don't believe it. Uh, it's, it's silly to believe those old-fashioned ways of thinking. Uh, you know, they got it wrong. Here's the right way. Paul said that would happen. Has that happened? <laughs> man, has it happened? I mean, it's happened ever since the day that Paul said it, it was happening. And it's, happened to, it's never been happening to a greater degree than it does right now. The time came and it stuck around. It's still here. And we right now live in the worst of times regarding that. Paul was talking about specifically in this case, we know that in this text he's talking about this resurrection philosophy that certain ones were picking up. Hymenaeus and Philetus were talking about, were leading people astray. They start talking about the resurrection. They had some cool ideas about it. So, oh, maybe the, resur- you know, the resurrection's already come. Y'all didn't know that? Yeah, it has. And then they started spreading that, and people's faith began to be shipwrecked because they were turning away from truth and turning aside to this myth. So it happened then, but it happens now. The pagan version of this is, oh, it's not really wrong for me to, to live my life the way I want to live. Truth is relative. Whatever works for you is good. Whatever works for you is truth. How, that, is, that is the number one virtue of, this, of, of our society today is tolerance. Oh, I, I, this, I know this. Your truth is just as good as mine. Truth is Whatever works for you is truth. That pagan philosophy is prevalent in this community. Do you all feel it and see it? Everybody wants you to believe that what they believe is right. It doesn't matter whether it's based on Scripture or not. It's just based on what they think. And then what happens is it gets a lot better and a lot, a lot stronger in their minds when they can get five or six or ten or a whole group of people that believe the way they believe, right? And so now there's a whole host of people. And in our community, there, there is the majority, by the way, of people who believe, even in churches, who believe that truth is defined by how we agree together it's defined. And it has nothing to do with what the Scripture says, with our proper interpretation of Scripture. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with how we feel about it. And so anything from, from uh, oh, it's okay to, to live in ways that are contrary to Scripture, all the way to, hey, um, you know, Jesus and Buddha and Muhammad and all of these people are the same. How does that happen? It happens when people move away from the truth and turn aside to myths and gather around them people who say, yeah, you know, that sounds better. I like the way that sounds. And so that's, that's a pagan version of that. But there's also a religious version of it that we need to evaluate ourselves based on. New ways of doing church is a good example. 
Uh, it's okay for us to move away from the Word and be all about programs and, and exciting events and big everything and massive whatever, and y- you know what I'm talking about. We can do all this stuff, and it has nothing to do with the gospel. We've, we've totally moved away from that, but we like the way it feels. And we can get our stuff going and, and be building things, even sharing the gospel with people. It's about talking them into say, making a decision, get them in the baptistry as quick as we can, count the numbers and put them in the Baptist message, right? And we, we have all done that. And, and, and we leave the gospel message that it's a response to the truth of what Christ did for us. And people don't even know, many of us didn't know the truth about what God did for us until long after we made that decision. And our churches are full of people who are coming up and saying, I don't think I ever really was saved. Well, you weren't in most cases. In a lot of cases, what we decided was we decided to be a part of a really cool church. It's one expression of it. But listen, before we write all that off, let's get it real personal to you. I can't tell you what your issue is. But I can tell you this. Any place that you're moving away from the word and you're deciding, I'm just going to go ahead and live in this even though the Bible says it's not true, and I'm going to get some people around me, and we're going to decide, and we're going to all agree together. Anything in your life that's contrary to the Word of God. What Paul is saying, you make sure that you recognize this is going to be a huge problem. People are going to gather around. They're going to say that this is God. Another version, besides just the pagan version, the religious version, that I want to add today, we talked about this morning, not by accident, and it's the freedom version. You guys are free. We know that. Grace frees us up, and we're not going to be put back in bondage again. But here's the problem. Some of you are celebrating your freedom, like we're talking about this morning, how I brought this up Jerry Bridges in his book, Transforming Grace, says a lot of us have embraced the freedom that we have in Christ, but we have not embraced his grace. It's different. You have freedom in Christ. Uh, and that, if you just work on the freedom, then what that motivates you to do is to say, I'm free. I can go live a wild life. Or I can go live a lifestyle that, and I don't have to worry about people or be concerned about the, the needs of folks or the fact that, that the world is dying and, and the, the world's coming to an end and there are a lot of people that need Jesus. I don't have to worry about that. I can just enjoy my freedom. That's turning away from truth and turning aside to myths. Pick your version. Pick your version. For a lot of us, I think it's the freedom version. Though we're enjoying more freedom as a church, we need to always be certain that our freedom is not based on gathering around us people who, who believe that our freedom is okay and walking in it, but instead that we are listening to the Word of God and we're walking according to what God says. If there's any doubt in your mind, ask God. So, so what's the solution to this problem? We've talked about the problem. He gave the solution before he gave the problem, so let's go back. Paul says, preach the word. In the presence of God of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Just preach the word. 
You want to know what the solution is to all of this, these versions of these, these awkward, off versions of myths that people are walking in, that we are walking in? Here it is. Fill your life with the word of God. Drop it like a plumb line in your life and measure up to it. You, you know what Satan does to us? We talked about this last week, is he gets us away from the word. He just wants us to be all about everything except the word of God. Read the word, study the word, pray and hear the word. Hear God speaking to you about your life. Ask God about every aspect of your life. Involve him in all of that. Follow his lead. Do what God says. The word of God, both spoken and and, and never outside of a connection with his word, never in contradiction to the written word, but what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, live it. That's where the power comes from. Paul had already instructed Timothy and us last week about what the solution was for this problem of paganism, relativism, uh, false religion, abuse, freedom. All of it is found in what we talked about last week. Remember? Here it is. The Word of God. Teaching. He says it's profitable for teaching. It's all we need as a text. So be careful not to replace it with books. Remember that? Reproof. It's all we need to tell us what's wrong with our actions. Be careful not to replace it with religious leaders and friends. Correction. It's all we need to tell us about how to fix what's wrong with us. It is both the doctor and the prescription. Don't try to fix it yourself. And in training in righteousness, it's all we need to live a proactive life resulting in deeper discovery of the glory of God and a full joy and contentment that transcends our circumstances. So Paul gives us a solution. The solution is preach the word. Paul says to Timothy, here's what's coming. A time is coming when people are going to be choosing paganism and relativism and religion and abused freedom. And they're going to gather around them teachers who say what they want to hear. And there's going to be whole churches full and big churches full of people who are walking in myths. And the only solution for that is, Timothy, you got to do what I've done. Preach the word. Stay true to what you've heard. Don't allow anything or anybody to move you aside. Use the word of God. It's all you need. It is going to accomplish what I want to accomplish in your ministry. So he says in verse 5, As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. That's not only a conclusion to today's message. That's a conclusion to this, this letter. This book of the Bible. Paul is saying in summary, he's going to go on and say, you know, we've already read this, but my life's about to be offered up. I'm about to die. You know, he gives us the context of his, and he tells him to say hello to some people. But the the meat of of this book is done. And here's what he says at the conclusion. Church, gathering place, members of this church, you have this charge before God and Christ Jesus. And in view of the fact that there's a world out in, uh, around you, there are people in your life around you, you may not even know who they are because your eyes have not been on them, who, are, who, are, who need to join the kingdom of God, who need to hear the message, the simple message of the gospel, and they will respond to it. And they're waiting on us. And there's an urgency because time is running out. We need to be sharing the gospel, living the gospel, loving people, blessing them, uh, have you been doing that? Have you been blessing people? Spending time with them? 
We need to do the work of an evangelist. We need to live a pure life. We need to walk with people. We need to love people. And we need to give them the word of God. Y'all with me say, oh, yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, it's been a good study. And I thank you for what you spoke through Paul to Timothy and for us. And Lord, today uh, we need to seal this, this book of the Bible and it's doing in our heart what it's doing in our hearts. God, I pray that you'll help us today to take this seriously. Father, uh, I know that I, I feel what you were saying through Paul at the close of his life that, that somebody, somebody needed to step up and be all about the gospel. And Lord, we want to be those people. We want to we want to face those people who are uh, stuck in paganism and give them the gospel. We want to stuck face those people who are trying to add to the gospel their list of things, Father. And we want to rebuke that, and we want to tell people not to listen to it, and we want to give them the word of God. That's who we want to be, Father. We want to be your church. We want to receive your charge, Father. Help us. Not to be people who are still turning aside, Lord, to myths, but instead just to, to trust you enough to walk in your word and see what you can do with our lives. God, you've, not, you've never proven us wrong when we've walked in your word. Every time our lives get better, we, we find more contentment, more joy, more peace. And so, Father, we, we need your help. Help us today. God, in this moment, to realize that we serve a God who's personal and that your Holy Spirit wants to be the initiator of our vision and the completion of our vision. The one who empowers our work. The one to whom we are accountable. The only one that we have to worry about who inspects us, corrects us, and ultimately brings fruit from our work. God, help us to be that church. Do what you got to do today in our hearts, Father, to seal that as we worship you.